Well, throughout the uh, past month, we have been uh, asking ourselves a question, and the question will come up on the side screen. And the question is simply this, what will ultimately satisfy the human heart? What is it that will ultimately satisfy the human heart? And we've been looking at a book of the Bible that is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, a book called Ecclesiastes. And there is uh, a guy who wrote that book named Solomon, who was considered the wisest man in the world. He was the king of Israel, and uh, he took this question, and he began to start trying to figure out, what is it that will ultimately satisfy the human heart? And so, first of all, he thought wealth would do that. And so he accumulated all kinds of money and uh, animals and fields, and he had all of this wealth. But he concluded at the end, it just doesn't satisfy. So then he went to pleasure. Anything that he could do pleasure-wise, he, he would do. He, he actually had a thousand wives. That sounds like torture to me, not pleasure. You know what I mean? A thousand wives. A thousand husbands, too. So I'm not being sexist there, but a thousand. And concubines and all that. And So he gets to the pleasure at the end of everything. He's like, ah, it doesn't satisfy so then he tries to acquire knowledge. He gets the wisest people around him and tries to learn everything that he can about the world. And that doesn't do it. And then last week, you might remember, and my wife Jen did such a great job. If you haven't listened to it online yet, um, please check it out. But he thought approval or popularity that if people um, just liked him, and he was popular that that would satisfy and that wouldn't do it. And, and none of these kind of filled the void that was in his heart. He had a void and he tried everything, but nothing worked. And so finally he gets to chapter 12, the last chapter, and he begins it by turning to a younger crowd. And he says these words. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach... When you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now this message uh, today is kind of geared towards middle school or high school or college students or uh, those in their early 20s. But I think all of us can get something from this. So don't check out right now, okay, and be like, oh, I'm done, okay? Um, because I think some of the things that... Th that age goes through, we, we actually deal with it throughout the rest of our life. Sometimes we just hide it better uh, than students do. And what I want to begin with is looking at this passage and looking at this phrase when it says uh, that before the days of trouble come. Like, what is Solomon saying when he, when he says that? Before the days of trouble come. And what Solomon is saying that for our students, high school, middle school, college, early 20-somethings, that you should enjoy this period of your life by remembering your Creator. To experience a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is one of the most important things you can do at this stage 
in your life before the days of trouble come. So what are the days of trouble that are coming? Old age. You're going to get old. Old like me, old like your parents. I didn't always have gray hair. And Solomon says, this season of your life that you're in right now is so precious, so unique, because you're young. So remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Because you're going to get old sometimes. And when you get old, this is the truth. It sucks. Now, don't say that word if you're a student in your household. I can say it because I'm a professional. And I'm old, okay? Like this morning, I woke up. I told you several months ago, we bought this brand new king-size bed. We only had one bed for the first 21 years of our life because I'm cheap. And so we bought this new bed, and we thought it was going to be all world. And I'm like, how can it be all world if I wake up and my back hurts? It's not the bed. It's me. I'm old. Now, in the section that follows this key verse, Solomon uses some very poetic and descriptive words there. And he does so by talking about aging and how terrible aging is. Let me give you a couple examples. Here's the first one, verse 2. The sun and the light and the moon and the stars will grow dim. What's that mean? What's it referring to? You lose your eyesight. My wife Jennifer, throughout our entire marriage, has had 2015 eyesight. 2020 is perfect, right? 2015 makes people sick. Because that means they're better than perfect. Like 2020 is perfect vision. It's better than that. But when Jennifer turned 40, and all of you who have hit 40, you know this. All of a sudden, you can't read like you once were able to read, like the newspaper or other things. You've got to kind of move it back and forth. Now, this is the thing with me. Since I have glasses, I don't have any problem reading something here. I just can't see any of you right now, okay? So Jennifer has to bring, like, boxes of food, and she has to bring, like, you know, cans to me. She's like, could you please read this for me? And so, you know, I have to read it for her. And I always feel really good then, and I go, boy, you're getting old. You know, like, eyesight, first thing to go. Verse 3. The keepers of the house tremble, and strong men stoop. What does that mean? It's referring to the servants that Solomon is speaking to, and he says, hey, at one point when you were young, you were strong and steady, but now you stoop and you have the shakes. Have you ever noticed old people start shaking? And, uh, you know, they, they stoop a little bit. And I know this to be true. We have a wall that is in our laundry room, and we check the girl's height with a pencil. So when they were two, three, four, five, six, seven, they're eight now. Well, they thought it'd be great if 
the same thing were for Jen and I. So they started doing that. I used to be 6'2", now I'm 5'10". And they're like, Dad, you shrunk! You know? It happens. How about this one? When the doors to the streets are closed. What does that mean? When the doors to the streets are closed. A few months ago, our family had dinner together. And uh, since we have an 8-year-old and 6-year-old after dinner, we have to help them uh, take a bath and do the whole bedtime routine, get their pajamas on, uh, all that good stuff. And then after we get all of that done, then uh, we bring them downstairs, and it's usually almost, almost every night. We let them watch this guy right here. That guy right there. There he is. Little Bear. Does anyone know Little Bear? Like Little, you don't have to clap for Little Bear. I mean, you don't clap for me, but you clap for Little Bear. I don't know what's up with that. But Little Bear is like the most calming show that you can ever have kids watch. And it teaches good character stuff. And so we love Little Bear in our house. And so we've done the whole bedtime routine. It's like a little bit before 9 o'clock. We're like, hey, a couple episodes of Little Bear, and then you have to go to bed. And they're like, oh, great. And 15 minutes later, guess what happened? Jennifer and I fell asleep. <laughs> and they are, like, grabbing onto our legs. They're like, Mom, Dad, it's over. Wake up. And then all of a sudden, Jordan's like, Dad, let's wrestle. I'm like, What? And then, then Shiloh's like, let's dance, Dad. Let's have worship night. You know, Jesus, we're going to worship about Jesus. And I'm like, seriously? Like, it's only 9.15 for us, but for you, it's time for bed. And so then they put us to bed, you know? <laughs> but the thing is, when you get older, folks, you don't have the same energy, that you once had before. Okay, how about this next one? Describing how bad it is to get old. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Anybody understand that? You're like, I ain't got a clue, right? Well, it's good that you know that I went to seminary. And I know the original language of Hebrew. So I will help you understand this a little bit more by giving you the bunch paraphrase. So you got to listen closely, but here it is. You know you're old when you're climbing three stairs leaves you breathless and dizzy. When a bump in the night keeps you awake the rest of the night. You know you're old when what's left of your hair turns white. When daily duties make you sore, and when sex becomes a chore. It's Hebrew. I don't, you know, I'm just trying to translate. So this old couple goes to bed one night, and can I talk about this? Or, some, you know, when my, when my wife's not around, it gets bad. So, 
Hey, students, should we do it? Should we finish the story? No. No? We're going to hear it anyways. Here you go. So this old man and this old woman, they crawl into bed one night, and the wife starts listing all the aches and pains and hurts that she's feeling day after day after day. Her husband says, well, honey, I feel like a newborn baby. She says, really? He says, yes, I have no teeth, no hair, and I think I just wet my pajamas. (laughs) That's what it's like, gang, I'm telling you. Getting old sucks. That's why Solomon says, cheer up, students. I don't care what you're facing in school or how bad your friends are treating you. It could be much worse. You could be old. You could be old. And you're not. You're young. Now, for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want us to focus on what I believe Solomon would say to those who are 25 years and younger. So it's geared towards them. Again, don't check out. This will have stuff to help you with. Now, if Solomon were here, if, you, if any of you are 25 or younger, you don't talk to each other, do you? What do you do? You text. So we're going to text what Solomon would say to those 25 and younger. Here's the first thing that he would say. Revel. Revel. This means that you need to enjoy life to the fullest. To delight in life. Ephesians or uh, Ecclesiastes 11.9 says this. You young people should enjoy yourselves while you're young. You should let your hearts make you happy when you're young. So students and graduates, those of you 25 and younger, the way that God designed you for this human journey is that in the time frame that you're in right now, you have maximum energy and you have minimum responsibility. And so Solomon says, revel in this time. Every single day of it, because life is never going to be the same that it is right now in this certain age of life. It's never going to be like this again. He says that the days of trouble are going to come. But until they do, you should revel in the days of your youth. The second text that Solomon would send is this. Experiment. Experiment. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says this. Follow wherever your heart leads you and whatever your eyes see. But then he adds a little be careful phrase to it. But realize that God will make you give an account for all these things. Let's start with the last thing first, the be careful verse there. Solomon's saying, hey, students, hey, young adults, don't do anything illegal. Because if you do something illegal, it'll have ramifications for the rest of your life. Don't do anything self-destructive. If you hear a little voice in your head and it's asking you to do something, and it's, pressure, it's ratcheting up the pressure for you to do something in a, del, in, in a self-destructive way, 
Refuse it. Don't hurt yourself. Don't cut yourself. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Don't do anything that's self-destructive. And don't do anything careless or stupid. So here, Solomon, on behalf of God, is pleading with young people. Do not wreck your life while you're young. Because God has a beautiful tapestry of your life that he wants to create. And then he gets to the positive side and he says, but what I want you to do is I do want you to experiment. And he says, follow wherever your heart leads, follow the ways of your heart. In other words, folks, those of you who are students, this is the best time in your life to go for things. To try things. To figure out what you're good at, what you enjoy, what feeds your soul and your spirit. One of the greatest gifts that my parents ever gave to me was that they flooded my life with opportunities to see what I was good at, to see what I was talented at, to see what energized me. They encouraged me to try different sports, to do different extracurricular activities, to uh, be a part of different academic achievement things. They encouraged me to go to camps, to retreats, to uh, different conferences. I remember going to New York City and Washington, D.C. by myself uh, and having an opportunity to serve the homeless there. What a, what a great experience that I had. And they let me experiment and find out what my talents and my abilities were so that I could ask questions like, what does God want me to be? What does he want me to become? What does he want me to grow up as? And what are the things in my life that I need to let go? I need to just push aside. Students and those of you who are in your early 20s, what Solomon is texting you today is this. During this precious era of your life, in your youth, run some experiments. Don't just stay in your room and play video games. Take some risk. Join some clubs, a team. Try the band. I tried choir. They kicked me out, okay? But then I actually tried a couple sports, and they like, hey, you can do this. If you are a person that isn't like into that, get a job. Get a part-time job. It doesn't have to be the career choice that you want for the rest of your life, but it'll teach you some stuff. Dive into impact on Sunday nights. Uh, I don't know why if you're a student, you're not going to that, because this is where you're going to grow closer to God. It's so important for that to happen, and they have fun. Volunteer around at the church. Volunteer in the community. And as you do this, you'll be able to say, wow, this is one thing I really like. Like, I'm good at this. I enjoy it. Or, ah, this thing, it was fun, but I'm not very good at it. Or, nah, I'm not going to try this at all. Whatever it is, just figure out the way that God wired you. Now, let me give a quick word to parents and grandparents. The best thing that you can do for kids at this age is for you 
to encourage them to experiment with things in their life that are good things, but that they've never tried before. And encourage them to do that. Fire them up. Inspire them. And let them know that you're always for them. That's the one thing with my parents that I always knew. That they were like, for me. And now, I shared last week, now as I'm a parent, one of the things that we have as a motto is always for each other. Because we want our kids to know we're always for them. And you serve them best, parents. You really serve them best. And grandparents too. When they do something, and maybe it doesn't turn out so great, that you actually help them then process that rather than just putting them down. During college, uh, my parents encouraged me to travel. And so I worked summer jobs, and then that money went for a trip that I took in January. And I'm not so sure my parents were pumped about where I was going to because many of the countries that I went to were unstable countries. And I remember, though, my dad saying, uh, just uh, while I was talking about this, he's like, just go for it, Chris, but don't get yourself killed in the process. (laughs) And then, in 1991, something happened. The Gulf War broke out. The very first Gulf War. So those of you who are students, I'm that old, okay? And I was in Cairo, Egypt. And the war breaks out. And immediately Cairo is up in arms. And there are pro-Iraqi demonstrations that are happening outside our hotel. And by the grace of God, we were the last touring group out of Egypt before they closed the international airport. And we would have been stuck there until they came to get us. And I remember when I got home, we got to the Indianapolis airport and uh, I'm walking in and my dad's there and he's like freaking out and like hugging me. He's like kissing me. I'm like, come on, dude, you know. And finally I was like, dad, you're the one that said go for it. And you said, don't kill myself. Look, I'm not dead. He's like, I'm going to kill you now. You know what I mean? But I learned a lot of stuff, folks. Some of the greatest opportunities that I had were because my parents were, like, encouraging me to just, like, go for it. The third text I believe Solomon would send you is this. Banish. He texts this word, banish. Let's read this next scripture out loud together. I think it's a scripture some of you could memorize this week. It's for all of us, but let's read it out loud together. Banish anxiety from your heart. That'd be a good thing for everybody, wouldn't it? Banish anxiety from your heart. I want to talk to our students today that the reality is some of you take on way too much on your shoulders. And you don't have to. This is not the season of your life where you have to take on everything and and feel the weight of the world. You don't have to decide what career you're doing right now. 
You don't have to find the spouse or the dating person that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And you don't have to think, hey, this is where I want to live. You don't have to think about all those things. Banish those worries, Solomon would say, and chase them out of your head for now. You'll have plenty of time to worry about those things later on. But there's one worry that I think most students and actually most people, adults just hide it better, they think about it a lot. And they question it a lot. And this is the question. They worry, what will my friends think of me? Like, what will my friends think of me? Am I dressing right? Am I talking right? Am I handling myself right with my friends? Will they affirm me? And if they don't, if they don't approve of what I'm doing... Will I wind up one day just having no friends, like no one will be around? Worrying about what others think of us and what our friends think of us in particular is an obsession that I think starts in middle school and honestly it goes all the way to death because we think about it. During the uh, summer before I went to high school, um, my dad felt a call from God that we needed to move from Marion, Indiana to Anderson. It was only a 30-minute drive, but it felt like another galaxy that I entered into. And I remember walking into that high school the first time, and I knew nobody, and I had no friends. And so I decided that what would help is maybe if I played football, and so I tried out for the football team, and uh, I became the first-string quarterback. Now, that sounds impressive, doesn't it? But this is the problem. If you're the first-string quarterback, that means you took the job of that eighth grader who was the first-string quarterback before. So when that took place, no one liked me. They liked their buddy. And so what would happen is... If you're the quarterback and people don't like you, the offensive line does what? Go on through. (laughs) Welcome. Have a field day. He's from Marion even. We hate Marion, don't we? Go ahead. And I got pounded. I mean, almost every single day until finally the coach was like, you know, you can't throw the ball because you, yeah, so I became another position. And I remember my dad during this, I think he was concerned because he's like, man, I, you know, is, is he going to find the right friends? Is now he, is he just going to go out and try to, you know, find any friend that he can? And I remember him pulling me aside and saying, Chris, don't give in to the pressure of going another way. Go God's way. And then he said these words that I've never forgotten. He said, keep on keeping on. He said, if you're going down a path that God has and there are distractions and people are trying to pull you in other ways, you keep on keeping on. In other words, he was saying, you be your own man. Don't let other students jack you around. Move in your own lane and you keep on keeping on. Confession here. 
I'm going to turn 44 on June 16th. And you know what? I still use that phrase. Keep on keeping on. And sometimes when I'm going down a path and people are trying to pull me one way or the other, and it's interesting when you're a pastor, people will try to get you, you know, towards their political persuasion or their theological understanding. And I just got to remind myself, you know what? I'm going the way that God wants me to go, and I need to keep on keeping on. And, and this is the truth about me, folks. I know where my true north is. And I don't have it all together, but I'm pretty sure I know what God is trying to to make me to become. And anybody who tries to lure me off that path, I ignore it, I walk away, but I just keep on keeping on. Last text I think Solomon would send is this. Remember. Remember. Let's read this uh, next verse out loud together. It's the first verse we looked at this morning. Let's read it out loud. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, being forgetful is an operation, uh, operational procedure for most students. Most middle school, high school, believe me, I know because I was there, they forget things. You forget your homework assignment. You forget your gym clothes. You forget chores at home. Then when you get to college, these are the things that I used to forget. I used to forget to pay the bill. Never had to pay bills before. And sometimes I remember my dad would say, you would forget your head if it wasn't attached to you. You know, or screwed on. But I want to make a confession. I think I have maybe one of the single most kind of, you know, forgetfulness stories in the jar. As I shared earlier, my parents encouraged me to travel the world when I was in college. They, they encouraged that a lot. And when I was a freshman in college, uh, I had the opportunity to go to West Africa, to uh, Senegal and the Gambia. It's a, it's a real cool, you should look it up, it's a real cool uh, concept because here's the country, Senegal, and inside it is actually uh, another country called the Gambia. And they've, uh, it's one of the few uh, countries that exist with two countries in one piece of land. And uh, so I get the opportunity to go, and we leave Anderson, Indiana. We're heading up to Manchester College, which is about an hour and a half drive. And uh, we get all the way there, or most of the way there. And uh, all of a sudden, I realized that I had forgot something that's kind of important. Anyone want to take a guess what it was? Passport, exactly. Forgot my passport. So my dad has to drive all the way back to Anderson. He drives, you know, back to the college, finally gets my passport. Things, you know, are crazy, but somehow I get my passport. I get on the plane. I fly into Dakar, Senegal. We get out of the plane and we go to our hotel. And what I found was such a gift. There was another school in California that was going to tour with us for these three weeks. And their bus pulls up and comes, and, and there's a very, very attractive young woman that comes off of that bus. Did I say she was attractive? Like, she was very, very attractive. And she was very, very smart. 
So very attractive and very smart. And she sees this Indiana boy and she takes a liking to me. And we were like together for the next three weeks. We were just always hanging out and we had a blast. And actually, she liked me a little bit more than I liked her. I mean, I think you can understand why, right? (laughs) Well, last night comes of this three-week extravaganza. And uh, the professor says, now, I want all of you to pack your bags tonight because in the morning, we're not going to have time to mess around. We've got to get on the bus and we have to get right to the airport. So we go back, we get all of our bags packed, and then I go out with Miss California for the rest of the night. And we tour the town, we go to places, we had all kinds of fun. We get back, you know, I'm not even worried about leaving because I have everything you know, packed and ready to go. And so it finally comes uh, for us to take our suitcases downstairs and we get them into this bus. And uh, they remind us right then that this is the last time we'll see our California uh, group. Like a, almost like a little tear is coming out of my eye as my California dreamboat, you know, like gets in another bus. And she's like going away, and I'm looking at this thinking, oh, man, my life, you know, will never be the same. And uh, about that time, I hear someone saying, passport, and I'm like, what? And the instructor says, hey, hey guys, I need all of our passports because we have to have them all ready when we get there. So I'm like, okay, no problem. So I look in my pocket, no passport. Uh, Look in my backpack, no passport. I look inside the secret compartment of the backpack because it's always there, right? It's not there. So I have to go up to my professor, who is going to give me a grade, by the way, when this whole thing's over. And I have to go up to him, and I go, I don't have my passport. And he goes off. He's just like, you lost the first one in Indiana. Now you lost one here. Get off the bus. Get your suitcase. So I get out of the bus. I'm looking. I'm panicking. You know, I can't, can't find it. And then he said this. He goes, you got 15 minutes to run to the hotel, and if you're not back here by then with your passport, we're leaving without you. Such a compassionate Christian man, you know what I mean? It's filled with compassion. So I take off running to the hotel to try to find my passport. And all of a sudden, I start having these fears come to my mind that I'm going to be like the next person on the National Geographic magazine issue. Like Africa's lost bunch, you know what I mean? Like, he's there, you know? Well, I get to the hotel and I start, you know, looking everywhere. I can't find it. It's nowhere to be found. Just everywhere. And finally, I look underneath the bed. And why would there be a passport under your bed? But it was. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like I find the passport. And so I run back. I get to the bus, you know, and he's like looking at the clock, you know, like, and I get on the bus and uh, it was pretty cool. And then he goes, you're going to get an F in this class. I'm like, oh, man, he goes, an F for forgetfulness, you know, and that was it. Now, that's a story of forgetting something. And it might be one of the worst stories here at the jar. But Solomon would say this. 
that there is one story that is worse than that. And that would be if any student or any 20-something went through this period of your life and you forgot your Creator. The Creator of your youth. That that would be a much worse story of forgetfulness. So Solomon says it like a father or a grandfather. He's like students, 20-somethings. Listen up. God loves you, and He's for you. From the first moment that you arrived on planet Earth, God had this deep affection for you. He, like, thought about you. His love for you. And He loved you so much that after the delivery... And you were placed into a a little crib. He actually stood guard there so that you would know you would never be alone. And he's asking you today, will you take his hand? He's like, you will never, ever be too young. To take the hand of God. That he extends the hand down to us. And all we have to do is just kind of raise a hand to him. And he's like, I'm ready when you are. Just just extend the hand. And the reality is, I've known five-year-olds that have been able to do this. They would lift up their little chubby hand to God and God comes down and all of a sudden they... Realize that they're placing their hand into the hand of God. And they start receiving God's love and walking with Him and and praying to Him the best way that a five-year-old can. And I've known ten-year-olds who actually walk each day closer to God than their parents do. And they're more Christian than their parents are. Even though their parents would say, oh, we go to church, we do. No, no, no. The 10-year-old actually shows a, close, a closer relationship to God. And I've known 10-year-olds who walk humbly with God, who honor God with their life. And I've known teenagers who have been transformed by Christ, who in a moment, maybe just like this moment that you're experiencing right now, they make a commitment And it's like God transforms their life and their life is totally changed because of a moment like this. And I'd like you to look at the side screens because we want to listen to a story of a young man who was a teenager and as he gave his life to Christ, here at the jar, not only was his life changed, But his parents' lives were changed as well. Let's take a look. Hi, my name is Andrew, and I would like to share my story with you. I was born in 2001, and the majority of my childhood was spent doing things any other kid would do. 
My family took me to church, but not every Sunday, and God was definitely not a huge part of our lives. But everything still seemed to be going well. Everything was normal. About the time I entered middle school, I noticed my family was turning away from God. That's when things started to fall apart. My dad moved out of the house, I started going through depression, and for the first time in my life, I felt completely alone. It was just my mom and me at the house now, and I started asking her questions about the Bible and Jesus. Questions like, what does this all mean? Why do things like this happen? Who even is Jesus? At this point, my mom and I started going back to the jar because there was nowhere else left to turn, and something in my heart was telling me that this would be a place I did not feel alone. I started going to the youth group here called Impact, and that helped me find a sense of community and friendship that I had never really found before. Everyone welcomed me in right away, and they even gave me the nickname Sticky. I still don't really understand that one. Not only did I have a ton of new friends, but the Bible was actually starting to make sense now. I started to understand what being a Christian was all about, and who Jesus is. He is not just a rule keeper who keeps a tally of everything I do wrong. He actually loves me right where I am at, and wants to be my friend. God started to repair what I didn't think could be repaired. My mom and dad got back together, and they have started coming back to the jar with me. My grades got better, my relationships got better, and my depression faded away. I could say for the first time in a long time that I was actually happy. I am amazed at how much God loves us and fights for us. He brought my family back together, repaired my own life, and now I want to share God's love with others. My name is Andrew, and this is my story. So students and uh, young adults, and maybe anyone who's here today, today's the day where you can choose Christ, just like Andrew did. He sat in a chair, just like you're sitting today, and in a moment in time, he said, everything's out of disrepair. I give it to you, God. And as he gave his life to Christ, things changed. You know, you do not have to be any older than you are today. And you don't have to have your life any more together today than where you're at right now. And the hand that actually has extended down from heaven since the delivery room is extending down again today. And you simply need to lift a hand to him. There's no better time to begin a relationship with God than right now. I mean, we got a monsoon storm out anyways. You you got nothing to do outside. But you know what could happen? A moment of the Holy Spirit coming, softening your heart to say, It's time for you to give your one and only life to Christ. Could slip away. And you could go down a path that would not be one that honors him. And I realize that the complexities and the confusion of those of you who are students is worse than it ever was when I was a kid. You have so many more temptations and pressures and distractions. But I think I would be like Solomon and 
If he were here, I think he would say, why not try today to put all of that to me and give me your one and only life? And this is the promise of doing that, that if you do that, that he will give you purpose and peace. He will forgive all of your sins, take them all away. You'll never have to carry them again. And that your future would be secure and your eternity would be secured forever. And it's simply giving your one and only life to Him. Because the thing is, for some of you, you got a void. There's a void in your heart and you've tried to fill it with other things and the reality is now there's only one thing that can fill the deepest void in your life. And that's a relationship with God. And he promises that he will fill the void. He will fill the void if you turn into a right relationship with him. And I can honestly tell you there is nothing better than that. To go through your day with peace and not anxiety, to go with the presence of God in each step that you take. That he he loves me. And he's for me. And so we're going to close with a song that talks about how to make Jesus truly the center of your life. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would stir in some of your hearts that maybe today would be the day that I give my one and only life to him. So I'm going to invite you to stand and uh, Jules is going to lead us in this song.
invite our prayer team to uh, come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. But uh, I'm going to stand right over here to my left. And if any of you have never made that decision to make Christ the center of your life, I'll stand right there and I'd love to pray with you. Be the greatest decision you can make in your life today. And uh, like I said, you'd have your, your life secured today and your eternity secured because of that. So uh, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. And again, if today's the day, uh, I'll be here. And if not, uh, our prayer team would love to pray uh, with you.